All right, guys, go be great. Brought to you guys by the good folks at Hardo Sports. Episode number 16, and folks, unfortunately, the Yankees season has come to an end. They get swept by the Houston Astros by a series score of four to nothing and a final game four score of six to five um, on Sunday. It is Tuesday, October 25th, so in the early parts of the morning. And uh, so the Yankees have been eliminated for about 24 hours. I've had about 24 hours to gather my thoughts. And uh, those thoughts will come at the end of the episode. I feel like it's only right um, that I talk about everything else that I want to talk about first. um, Because I feel like I'll just kind of rush through you know, my, my NFL takes and uh, my picks, if I empty the clip on the Yankees in the early part of the episode, which I'm sure will come, uh, you know, part of the reason for the 24 hours <clears throat> was just kind of to reminisce the season. Um, I had a lot of fun this year going to games. I probably ended up at about eight or nine, and um, hopefully this uh, podcast episode um, art, you know, that you will see at that when I put the episode up, um, will be my picture from Game Three. Uh, I was in attendance at Game Three. Shout out to uh, Jay Spez and Mr. Spez for bringing me out to Game Three. Um, we had some great seats. Unfortunately, we had some great seats to watch pretty much the Yankee season crumble right in front of us. Uh, you know, Harrison Bader and Aaron Judge have that misplay out in right center field. And the next batter, Chaz McCormick, hits a home run off Garrett Cole. And kind of that was the end of the Yankee season there as they got one hit for eight innings. Uh, put a couple guys on in a five-run game in the bottom of the ninth, lost game three, and then obviously go on to lose game four as well uh, to complete the Astros' sweep. Um, So part of the reason is that I just kind of wanted to look back and think about all the good things that I saw this year and the good times I had with some of my friends and, you know, just how much I appreciated going out to the games this year and being with everybody that was there. Um, whether I went with you or, you know, I went to one game alone, which was pretty cool. Um, so I just kind of thought about those things, uh, especially the Aaron Judge aspect of it, you know, with the potential of him not coming back and the season that he had this year about, you know, Either way, whether he comes back or not, how the chances of that being replicated are pretty slim to none. And uh, it was very special to be in the in the house for, you know, four or five of those home runs, including number one. Um, so I wanted to, you know, reminisce about the good times I had personally about Aaron Judge and kind of gather my thoughts, but also just the fact that, you know, it's pretty easy to come on here when, when shit's going all good. Um, but I don't want to say that the desire to come on is lessened when, you know, there's not a lot of good going on, especially on the Yankee side, which 
on a lot of these episodes have has taken up about 40 or 50 percent of the time uh, just by itself so it's not that I, I lose the desire, but it is a lot harder just to <clears throat> try to get yourself through and get yourself excited for, you know, I don't want to be talking about the Yankees getting swept, you know, Tuesday, October 25th, you know, technically the way that the, the season you would hope that it would go, uh, we'd be playing game six later on tonight in Houston um, or maybe, you know, Ideally, I guess you wouldn't have let it get to that point. You would have won in four or five games, but that is not the universe that we live in. And, um, you know, just as simple as the Yankees didn't hit, unfortunately. Uh, but at the end of the day, we'll get to it in the end of the episode. Um, I want to start off with the Jets. Uh, I, I guess I'll start out now. I want to start off with the Jets because I feel like talking about the Giants will be a good lead into um, into my talk about the Yankees because I kind of want to talk about how the Giants have seemingly nailed their um, head coaching and front office position hirings from this offseason just after seven games, regardless, I think, of what happens this season in terms of playoff success or or even end of season success i think there's a clear change in the culture and the fact that these men on the giants go out there and most of the time are not the more talented group of players on the field and nonetheless they go out there and they have a belief that they're going to win every week um and and it shows again in jacksonville 23-17 in one o'clock, but I'm going to talk about my Jets first. Uh, 20 to nine is the final, excuse me, 16 to nine is the final score. Uh, Jets over the Denver Broncos. Um, it wasn't the best game overall offensively, but part of that is because you're, your best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker, goes down with a triceps injury that will keep him out for the remainder of the season, which is an absolutely brutal blow. Um, I don't know the exact stats for AVT, but up until this week, I don't believe he let up a pressure as you know, either left tackle, right tackle, or guard, which he's started at three positions this year, which is pretty unheard of in the NFL especially on the offensive line. Um, so he's done just such a good job at three different positions. He's, you know, hadn't let up one QB rush uh, up until this week. And unfortunately, he goes down in the same half as your rookie running back, Brees Hall. Um, just, you know, I think the next carry after or two carries after he had a 62-yard touchdown run on a toss to the left in which he uh, didn't get touched. And, of course, who was the pulling guard for that toss? Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, So it's just pretty rough. It's really rough uh, to lose your linemen. I think you kind of – if you really know the game, you know that losing Vera Tucker is a lot worse then losing Brees Hall and the Jets end up trading for James Robinson, uh, 
um, on Monday earlier today or earlier yesterday. So in terms of the running backs, um, excuse me, in terms of the running backs, I just feel like you're going to see that the Jets will still have a a decent production from the running backs. You know, Michael Carter is a good running back. James Robinson's a good running back. Even Ty Johnson, you saw him get carries in that game. He wasn't bad, but Brees Hall clearly was a special talent in the NFL early on. I mean, that was a big breakout run where just no one even touched him, and he broke away from everybody by about 15 yards. Um, And so it's a real tough blow to lose those two guys, but um, the Jets are on a four-game winning streak. You're going into uh, a game against the Patriots where the Patriots are coming in and they have a quarterback controversy on their hands because Mac Jones uh, came back from injury for Monday Night Football. I, that game kind of just finished up two hours ago or so, um, and I didn't really tune in, but um, it's not good if your first-round quarterback from last year who brought you to the playoffs is getting benched for your fourth or fifth-rounder, Bailey Zappi, after one quarter of play. Um, and then Bailey Zappi came in and was like 14 of 22 for 185, a touchdown, two picks, a fumble. Um, and he scored on his first two drives, but not any points on the last six. So I, I just don't think that it's like picking between one guy who's good and one guy with potential or whatever. I think it's, you know, it's one guy that has like had some fun upside, but clearly, uh, Still not the greatest quarterback in Zappi. And then Mac Jones, who is either hurt still and trying to work his way back or maybe just isn't as good as we thought he was last year. Um, And so we'll find out more when they play the Jets next week. Um, But still a big test for the Jets, especially with losing AVT and Brees Hall. Like the defenses look good, and I expect them to look good again against the Patriots off of the sheer fact that the quarterback for the Patriots has been in question now, you know, will be in question probably for the week and both guys will practice during the week with the ones. And I just don't think that that's something that you can go out and win with. Um, And the Jets defenses look good. Like I don't, what, what wide receiver is going to be breaking wide open against the Jets against Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. I'm not really sure um, because they kind of really locked up uh, the, the outside guys, whoever they were going to be, whether they switched it around between Sutton, Judy, and KJ Hamler. Um, whether they were on Sauce or DJ Reed, they weren't getting much. They were getting a lot on LaMarcus Joyner in the first half, but the Jets ended up keeping it um, to no points in the second half from the Broncos. So I think for as sad as it is and for as sad as I am for both young men, Brees Hall and AVT, that they won't be returning this year. Um, One, I think that both of those young men will come back hungry for next year. I just based on what I saw on the field and kind of the energy that seemingly AVT is like a leader in the, in the locker room already as a second year player um, and, and Brees Hall, you know, 
when you're going into a, a running back room that has another, you know, second year player and, you know, just, I think the camaraderie that has happened on, on both sides of the ball, it kind of just shows you what these, these players are really bought in. And so I think both of these guys will rehab their injuries, come back strong for next year and, and will still be, you know, really good players in the NFL. There's no reason to believe ABT doesn't come back and returns to this level of play, you know, with an ACL for Brees Hall, I guess it's a little different, but you've seen Saquon Barkley come back from this injury very recently and look, if not, you know, a hundred percent, maybe even 105, 110% of what he was uh, previous to the injury, you know, at his peak, I guess, in his rookie year, second year in the league. Um, so you have to believe that he'll come back and be pretty good too. Uh, it's just, just because that they're out though, doesn't mean that the season's over and Joe Douglas operated as such. And I'm glad that that's the way he views this team. It's not that he views this team as a fluke, a, a fluke five and two where like, oh, you know, now we have three games against the, the division, two against the Patriots, one against the Bills and a bye wedged in there in the next four weeks. Uh, he's not looking at, at that as 0-3 anymore. He's looking at that as, well, the Patriots don't look good this year. You got to try to take advantage of them with two wins. And, you know, if, if you win those two games, just say, right, well, we'll take one because the Bills game is wedged in the middle and then the bye and then the second Patriots game in Foxborough. I mean, if you win this game against the Patriots, you're on a five-game winning streak and you're six and two going into a matchup with the Bills, who will be six and one. Uh, you can't go into that game thinking you're inferior anymore. You got to go in, like I said, this is a big part of the Jets and the Giants schedule for the rest of the season. You know, now I guess for the rest of the year, this is because now. This is the first week or two where these teams now have expectations kind of to go out there and compete and win. Now, I guess for the Giants, it's to keep close and in these two games with Jacksonville and Seattle, because I think both teams are good this year. And to go to those two locations, they're tough locations to win. I guess maybe not Jacksonville as much as I thought, because, uh, it looked like there were 60% Giants fans in the stands for that game at what I guess their TIAA Bank Stadium. Um, but Seattle will be tough next week. So we'll see how they react to that next challenge. Um, but yeah, I just think now this the Jets have expectations. Like if you, especially you go into you go into uh, this game with the Patriots and you win, you're on a five-game winning streak. Johnny's got five straight ice cream cones. He's going to the doctor for a cavity. Um, and and you go into that Sunday football game with the Bills, I guess on, that's on November 6th, and you got some real expectations to uh, to really to give the Bills a run for their money, especially the way that this defense looks. Sauce Gardner looks like an all-pro. DJ Reed. Looks really good, maybe an all-pro as well. Um, and Quinn and Williams has just really brought a uh, a different energy to this defense. It was not as great in the first half with the Broncos, but, I mean, you can attribute that 
to not knowing that Brett Ripien was going to be the quarterback and kind of the def or the offense changed up a little bit. Uh, you can, you know, you can attribute that to one bad drive on that drive in the first quarter that they gave up to the Broncos where a lot of runs kind of just broke through for six, seven yards. Uh, you can attribute it to the air, you know, being a mile high. I don't know, but I think for the second half of the game and for a couple of weeks in a row before that, they have looked really good and gotten a lot of pressure on the quarterback as well. Um, and so I look for that to continue on Sunday against the Patriots. Uh, so we're going to go south with the, the New York Giants. They go into Jackson, excuse me, Jacksonville as a three-point dog. And they come out with a win, 23-17. Um, another good second-half adjustment. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars went into the half with 17 points and ended up not scoring in the second half. Um, the Giants, guys, I mean, it's time to have the conversation, or maybe the conversation is already over. Daniel Jones might be a good quarterback, folks. And now this is the second time in Brian Dable's young coaching career in the NFL where he has turned his quarterback into a more accurate passer, something that just straight up doesn't happen um, in coaching in the NFL. Like, I think part of it is the scheme and just really doing a great job of being prepared for the week with the play calling and, and getting the best 60 or 65 plays that, that are going to work for your team. And, you know, he's had two different types of throwers. I think Josh Allen's arm was just really raw and he had to just find a way to coach him with the technicalities of being a quarterback and that the rest of the playmaking and the decision-making was already there. Um, and I think with Daniel Jones, you know, I think maybe, yeah, once again, the decision-making was always getting flustered because there wasn't clear answers to the old schemes. Maybe that if that doesn't even make sense, I'm not sure. But I think that he's just putting it into simple terms for Daniel Jones. I think that he's doing a good job of getting his – plays to reflect what Daniel Jones is good at, you know, cause he could go in with the Josh Allen playbook. I don't think Daniel Jones would be looking as great, but you go in with what works for Daniel Jones. And in this week it happened to be, let's run Daniel Jones, the football. And he goes out there and runs for a hundred yards. Like he's a tailback and throws, you know, for another 200 and doesn't throw a pick. And then all of a sudden folks, not only do you have a great quarterback, but you have a great dual threat quarterback that is getting utilized the correct way. Um, and it's just, it's nice to watch because to be completely honest, even though giants fans have definitely trolled on the jets in the past and even in recent years, um, I just don't root for them to be awful. Like, cause I know what it feels like and it's a disastrous feeling. It's, terrible turning on your tv on a sunday and just watching and being like oh, this either this team is gonna play well and blow it at the end and make my you know 
just make this awful for me to watch for three hours or not even be close in the games. And so I don't wish that for like anyone. And I've kind of, if you've noticed on my podcast, relaxed my stance, how, how I used to be with the Mets. Like I used to hate on the Mets. I don't do that anymore. I root for the Mets to be good. As long as they don't play the Yankees, I'll root for the Mets. Um, And I just kind of want to see the people that I know and love be happy with their sports teams, just the way that I want to be happy about mine. So, um, you know, the Giants fans have been through a lot the last couple of years and, you know, they're doing a lot with a little right now. And it's very clear um, that Brian Dable is the guy. I think, you know, he made a great hire bringing in uh, Martindale, Wink Martindale, who, like I said, the Giants give up zero points in the second half. They, you know, must have made good enough adjustments to make sure to keep Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, um, and, and the wide receiver and core of Kirk, uh, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, and others, you know, off the board in the second half. It's a big time, big time thing to do, especially on the road. Um, and the Giants are just playing. It's been the story for now, I guess, a couple of weeks in a row. The Giants and the Jets are on this win streak. I mean, they're just playing better, and that's good enough in itself. The winning is great, and most importantly, it seems like we have two very competent, very intelligent GMs that not only can build a team, but will do what they need to do, in ter- at least in terms of Joe Douglas. I don't think this scenario has come up for the Giants just yet, but to go out and get what the team needs to uh, try to compete in um january and february so i'm excited for both of these teams like i said it seems like the giants have made their hiring move as a major success and i think my team the yankees will have to follow suit i'm going to get into the yankees in just a second but i want to do my picks first um, I'm going to do college first because I've just been better on college all year. Um, I've made 16 picks in college. I'm nine and seven, 56%. I've made 17 picks in NFL, 23%, four, 12 and one, but two and one last week. And um, I'm going to make four college picks and three NFL to even it up at 20. Um, and so here goes nothing. Number, I'm going to do the confidence again. I know that I haven't like reflected that in my record in any way, and I'm not going to. I think it's just kind of between like the, you know, me and you guys, really. Um, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a correlation where my lower confidence picks have been winning and the higher ones lose or other way around. Um, but, you know, at least you'll know kind of how I feel about each game and you can base your decisions on what you want. Um, all odds courtesy of the folks at FanDuel. If you do have a gambling problem, please call the number 1-800-GAMBLER. Don't bet anything that you can't afford to lose. Um, it's just not worth it. And we will move on uh, to the number one pick. 4 p.m. on the SEC Network. Missouri is plus five versus South Carolina. 
South Carolina is ranked, folks, at the 25 spot, and I'm guessing that will be moving around either. I don't know. must have moved around on Monday. So that was the ranking from after last week's results. Um, and I just think that's a little bit of an over-ranking, folks. Um, Missouri also has a 22nd-ranked defense. And on offensive side of the ball, they haven't been as great. But there is some talent, including uh, a five-star freshman, uh, Luther Burden, who is kind of starting to get used a little bit more. I think he had four catches for 66 yards in the recent game in a win against Vanderbilt. Um, so I'm looking for this kid to kind of get some more opportunities to make some plays. Um, you know, I think this defense will be fit, causing some fits for Spencer Rattler, the quarterback of South Carolina. And I think five is just too many points. Um, Missouri has also won the previous three meetings. And I just think Missouri's three and four. South Carolina's five and two. I think there's one team who's a little bit better than their record and one team that's a little bit worse than their record. And I'm going to take the team that is the visitor, plus five, Missouri, the Tigers, um, in South Carolina, 4 p.m. on the SEC Network. And we'll move on to number two, 3.30 on the ACC Network, uh, over 62 in the Wake Forest and Louisville matchup in Louisville. Um, Louisville started the season against Syracuse and put up seven, but since that point, Louisville has averaged about 31 points per game, um, 41 points per game for Wake's offense this season, and that puts you nine points over what the total is being offered. So I expect this number to be hammered by the public and kind of go up by four or five points to like 66. I'd still take it there. Um, uh, Action Network has a new, and I've kind of, you know, I give all of these books and applications and whatever free advertisements. So I hope it comes back to me one day, but Action Network has a new feature this season where you can see the head-to-head matchups um, and base it off of totals and spreads and whatnot. You can only see the last five years, but in the last five years, uh, these teams have hit the over every time and by a couple a couple of times they hit it by 50 uh, they hit it by 30 once so um, I just think that this is a bad number that's gonna get hammered by people go up and we'll still you know I can envision this game being like 52 to for wake 35 Louisville um, so maybe you also want to go on wake minus four I think that they'll win by a touchdown but the official pick is over 62 and we will go to pick number three, which is Syracuse minus three versus Notre Dame. So Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame coming off the bye at four and three Syracuse coming off their loss uh, against Clemson 27 to 21 on Saturday um, to go sick. Now they're six and one Uh, Syracuse is the home team. And I just think this is a wrong number. I think, you know, minus six and a half would make a lot more sense. Syracuse has another pretty good defense and um, they just had a tougher schedule. They also had a huge 96 yard fumble recovery for a touchdown that put them up 14, seven in that game. Unfortunately, their offense had a rough time the rest of the way with Clemson only putting up seven more. 
Um, but I think that they'll be a lot better against Notre Dame. And I just think that this number is wrong. And so I'm going to play it. Syracuse minus three is pick number three. And for the last pick, uh, Michigan, Michigan State under 54. Uh, that game is 730 on ABC. Um, the under for Michigan this year is five, one and one. They are allowing 17 points per game in conference play. And I think that the nature of their offense being like the ground and pound offense, you know, Blake Corum, the starting running back is seventh in college football and rushing yards with 901 through the first seven games of the season. Um, he is first or tied for first with 13 rushing touchdowns. So I think the fact that the team who controls the game is going to be running the ball a frequent amount and playing good defense. Um, 54 just seems like too high of a number. And so I would like to take it. Also, Michigan's coming off the bye, which means that they've looked at Michigan State stuff for two weeks, which means that their defense should be pretty locked into what Michigan State's trying to do. And so I like those four picks, Missouri plus five, over 62 in Wake Forest, Louisville, Hughes minus three versus Notre Dame, and under 54 in Michigan, Michigan State. As my four picks for college football this week, nine and seven on the record, call 1-800-GAMBLER if you have a problem. All right, we're going to go to the NFL. Uh, I've got three picks, 23%. I know, folks, but I'm doing some research. I feel good about these picks. I feel Pretty good about the college ones for sure. Um, the NFL ones, you know, sometimes you've got it, it seemingly, you know, uh, lined up for some wins and it doesn't work out that way. Last week, I felt like I had two good ones with the Jets and the Titans. And I went with the Falcons just based on that they had kept the game within a touchdown every week. They couldn't do it this week. And, you know, they just kind of got toasted by Joe Burrow. Um, so, we're going to try to try to stay away from the Falcons the rest of the season. Uh, but I'm going to go with the Jets as the number one confidence pick. I know that Vera Tucker is done. Being done for the year is really tough. And I've you know spent a couple of minutes talking about it already. But the Patriots just lost by 20 to the Bears. So I expect this number to go from plus two to at least even. And uh, maybe I'm reading a wrong line. Um, but the fact that the Patriots are coming in with a quarterback crisis and the Jets defense looks that good it just should be enough for like you know the Jets to just can easily squeak out a win but I mean the Bears put up 33 points and like I said I didn't watch the game but I have to figure that our running game is just as good and our passing game is a little bit better with Zach Wilson and our play calling compared to Justin Fields and their play calling so I would like Jets plus two as my number one confidence pick. And we move on to the next one. Under 50 and a half, Detroit Lions and Miami Dolphins. Um, this is the highest total in the NFL this week. Uh, I think the under just generally is a more winning bet than the over this season. Um, both teams combined for 22 points last week. The Lions put up six. The Dolphins put up 16. The Dolphins have not put up more than 20 the entire month of October in four games. The only way the Lions offense has produced this season is when they're playing these teams that put up a lot of points on their garbage defense, and then they put up a lot of fourth-quarter points. But like I said, 
Miami hasn't been scoring. They haven't scored more than 20 the entire month of October versus the Jets, the Steelers. Um, I think they had 16 in there against uh, the Minnesota Vikings. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily think the Lions defense is great, but I don't think Miami's offense is clicking right now. Um, and clearly Detroit's isn't either. DeAndre Swift has been out for a couple weeks. Amon Ross, St. Brown got hurt with a concussion. So we'll see. I think it was a concussion. So we'll see if he's coming back for the next week. And so I like under 50 and a half Detroit and Miami. I believe that game's in Detroit. Uh, and the final one, Commanders plus three. Sam Ellinger is the new starter of the Colts. And it looks like for the rest of the year as Matt Ryan has a shoulder injury that's going to put him out. And I guess they're either just not trying to bring him back later, way later in the season, or that um, just generally, I guess, he's out for the year and his injury is going to take longer to rehab than the season. So uh, the commanders also dealt with a quarterback injury, but uh, Taylor Heineke kind of made the offense look a little bit better than Carson Wentz did. And they win against the Green Bay Packers at home 23 to 21 this week. Um, I think, like I said, he's just, you know, Sam Ellinger is making basically his debut in the NFL. Meanwhile, Taylor Heineke, although the commanders never looked good in those years where they, you know, were competing for the playoffs and made the playoffs, I think it was at like seven, eight and one, I guess, in 2019 or 2020 with him at the helm. Um, But you know, he's made the team look better and he's won in the NFL. And so I just kind of want to take the better quarterback here. Um, Commanders plus three is the third pick. And so that brings me to the moment that I've been dreading for about 25 hours. And that is time to recap and give you guys my thoughts about this series with the Astros and kind of, uh, I don't want to really go into what I think happens next because. Uh, I just think that that could spiral into a real long podcast that no one wants to listen to. And that's not what I really want to put out there. Um, and more or less, you know, I'm sure you've heard what more, you know, to the extent of what I'm going to say, you've heard it from someone, you know, you've heard it from people calling in or, or the people that host the shows on WFAN or ESPN radio in New York. Um, and, and I'm not really bringing much different things to the table, uh, except for the fact that I don't want to say that I was right, but most of the moves that I criticized during the season ended up coming back to haunt the Yankees, um, specifically IKF and Josh Donaldson. I mean, IKF didn't necessarily play terribly, but the fact that we were told this guy was a good defensive shortstop all season when anyone with an above, I don't want to say an above average baseball IQ, just, you know, if you go into that ballpark on a random day in June and IKF is the starting shortstop that day and you've played baseball before, I mean, the naked eye tells you that he's not a good defensive shortstop. When he picks up the ball, the throw doesn't go easily over to the first baseman. It bounces. It goes past the first baseman. Sometimes it pulls him off the bag. Sometimes he doesn't pick the ball up at all. 
sometimes he runs the wrong uh, base path direction when covering on a double play and a bad flip as well gets past them and it goes into left field and it costs you a game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that we were told IKF was a good player the whole year when, like I said, if, if you have eyes, you know that he's not. Uh, it's rough. Um, Josh Donaldson, for a team that was complaining that, you know, after COVID, the money was going to be rough and we don't want to sign back Tanaka and we're going to let him go to Japan. And, uh, you know, we're not going to try to sign, you know, thank God we didn't try to sign Patrick Corbin, but we're not going to sign Bryce Harper. We're not going to sign Manny Machado. Uh, We're not going to sign Aaron Judge, our own homegrown player to a contract that he deserves and now is going to blow out of the water for either us or for some other team. Um, so there's problems, man. There's real problems with this team, with the front office, with the managers. I mean, I kind of want to go around the diamond and just talk about what this specific player did during the regular season, what they did during the playoffs, and whether they should be back next year. Um, so I'll start at the top. Brian Cashman, I was already getting a lo- you know along with it. I started with the IKF, and Josh Donaldson was next. I was talking about money. I mean, we brought in Josh Donaldson for $25 million a year. I'm not sure exactly what Gio Urshela's contract was, but his batting average ended up 65 points higher in the regular season than Josh Donaldson's. His OPS 100 points higher. And I know Josh Donaldson, according to all the defensive metrics, had a really great season, but I just don't think it was worth it for $25 million and a offensive downgrade somehow um, from Urshela. I just, it was never worth it. I said that it was never worth it. People bought into that trade because Gary Sanchez was gone and I don't blame you guys for it. I mean, I didn't want Gary Sanchez either at that point. It had gone so bad and I'm kind of at that point with unfortunately Glaber Torres too. And I'm not at second base yet, but I will be at some point in the next couple of minutes. So you'll hear my thoughts there, but I, I just, it's another guy that, like I said with IKF, like we were told this guy is good when you show up to the park and he's swinging through pitches that, I mean, it's all right to strike out in the MLB. Like the pitchers are good. I fully understand that. But to strike out and just look like you're nowhere near the baseball to the last that bat of your season, watch a fastball, you know, at the uh, way above the knees, closer to your thighs. Uh, and just to watch it down the middle for strike three is just it's pretty bad. It's really bad. Um, you know, our philosophy on not bringing up guys is, is pretty bad uh, because at the end of the day, it took you 165 games to decide, yeah, you guys are right. IKF does stink as a shortstop. And so now we're going to start this kid 
who has 45 career at-bats and 15 career games. I mean, how is that fair to that player? When he had a full two-month opportunity to come up in the middle of the season and prove that he was worth it and to, to get his feet wet. And look at Jeremy Pena, man. Like, he came up to start the season. They had faith in bringing up their player when there was a vacant hole at the position. He comes up, and he was my pick for Rookie of the Year, by the way, in the AL. And instead, what does he do? He doesn't win Rookie of the Year in the AL. He's not a, a regular season player, and he did great. But, of course, he comes out with the one OPS in the postseason, wins the ALCS MVP, hit a big three-run home run in Game 4. Like, that's what happens when you, when you do your job and you scout a good player and you draft them and then your player development people develop him and you bring him up through the system right and when the time comes which you know maybe it wasn't this year maybe the stopgap move was still the right move i don't think it was ikf but maybe the stopgap move was still the right move but maybe bring up peraza was the right move i mean at the end of the day now you brought him up like you started him in an alcs game to me, if you try to put him back down at the start of the season at AAA, uh, that just kind of is a spit in the Yankee fans' faces. It's a spit in that kid's face. Like, yeah, we needed you for the ALCS kid, but you know what? To start the next season, yeah, go back down there and we'll see you in another two years. I don't think that's right at all. Um, so that, that, you know, there's a lot more with Brian Cashman, I think, you just kind of look at the way that the team was constructed to begin the season, it seems like the plan was to be rid of Glaber Torres. I mean, if you don't have DJ LeMayhew hurt and you have $25 million with Josh Donaldson, there's no need for a valuable young player to be riding the bench in Glaber Torres. And you heard the reports that they were trying to trade him to the Marlins for Jorge or for Pablo Lopez. Um, and honestly, I guess in terms of the Glaber, like I, I, I don't hate that he would have been gone. But once again, I just don't think that Donaldson for 25 mil was worth it. And then you kind of look back at other answers that Brian Cashman was trying to have for this year. I mean, his answer. Um, in left field, Andrew Benintendi got hurt. His answer in right field to start the season, Joey Gallo was awful. Well, from last year, but still was awful. Um, you know, Rizzo obviously looks good. Uh, Bader looks pretty damn good. But there were a lot of moves this season that just didn't look good at the beginning of the year and just progressively over time. Proved the fans right, unfortunately. And for, for, like I said, the average fan to, to know what's going on and to be told something different and for, for the average fan to have more logical 
ideas and for the broadcasters and journalists to have more logical ideas than the people that are on the field in charge of running the franchise with the numbers in front of them and they can't do it. Like there's a serious problem, man. So I think, you know, I'm trying to be calm about it because I just don't think there's any point at, at this juncture of like screaming and yelling. Like I, I am angry. I'm, it's not that I'm not angry, but there's a potential that the Yankees don't make any of these moves that I'm saying in terms of firing at least Brian Cashman. Now, I don't personally think Aaron Boone, I guess we'll move around to the to the manager in the top step of the dugout. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a good manager, and I don't think he's the best manager for this group because outside of Aaron Judge, who could be gone, there's I don't, I don't you know I think that the clubhouse always can still police itself either way, but I kind of like a manager that instills this belief of greatness into his players, and I just don't think Aaron Boone does that. I mean, if you look at both football coaches in in New York right now, I think that both of those guys, the whole mentality and mindset thing is a big part of their coaching style. I mean, they, Robert Sala, the way he speaks about how the guys, you know, work and practice and, and the mindset before games and, and all that stuff, it makes you believe that the mental conditioning parts of things are um, taken care of on both of those franchises. And to, to, it's funny that I bring up that specific term because Another guy who should be fired is that guy. And like I said, I don't think Aaron Boone's the right guy. I don't think he's the right guy for the Yankees specifically. But the thing I think that bothers me the most, and it's unfortunately not his in-game decisions with bullpens, and we'll get to those, I guess, in just a minute, but it's more so the fact that he's like media illiterate almost. I mean, for a guy who worked in the media to tell the people that he wasn't forced to tell anyone any of this stuff that came out before game four, folks. I mean, to tell the, the media, yeah, the mental conditioning coach showed videos of the 2004 Red Sox in the ALCS that came back against the New York Yankees who had a three, nothing lead. They showed that video to our players saying, Oh, let's just win one tonight. And who knows what happens? I mean, are you out of your mind? I don't think there's any problem with the coach actually doing that. I mean, listen, if you, what you have to do to try to motivate your players, you got to do right. Like they're the only team that ever came back from three Oh, in any sports history. Um, I get it. Like, I, I get it. But Aaron Boone didn't have to tell the media that. And he had to have known what the reaction from Yankees fans would be and what the reaction from other baseball fans would be. And so I think that was a pretty disastrous move. And we're going to be the butt of jokes for a pretty long time with that one, unfortunately. Um, and the other one was the, the FaceTime of David Ortiz. Uh, I... That one to me, 
made no sense. I mean, I, I appreciate that Eduardo Perez did that. And I appreciate that David Ortiz uh, would would talk to Aaron Boone. I, I don't think there's any, like, hatred of Big Poppy towards Aaron Boone or towards the Yankees really at all. Um, so, like, and I think it's pretty cool the way that he has been – the way he has worked himself into the media since after retiring and how beloved he is in baseball right now but um, I just don't think that was the right move and the last one Nestor Cortez starts game four um, injured and his velocity goes down three miles per hour and the Yankees come out after two consecutive walks I don't have any stats in front of me folks but I know damn well that there's only one possible other time this entire season and Nestor Cortez walked two straight batters. I mean, maybe none. He might not have walked two batters in five or more starts the entire season. He really didn't walk that many guys at all. So that should have been, you know, red flag number one and two all within, you know, 10 or 12 pitches. Um, and I get Nestor trying to say, like, I want to stay out there, but it's your job to be like, he's not that good. We got to get him out of this game before, you know, in one swing, which is exactly what happened. And the Astros, part of the reason that they won is because they took advantage of the Yankees' mistakes. Uh, they took advantage of this one. And Jeremy Pena went deep off of an 82-mile-an-hour cutter from Nestor, made it 3-0. And they asked Aaron Boone, Lauren Shahadi, the sideline reporter for the game, Asks Aaron Boone the next inning, and he tells the people, oh, yeah, Nestor's been hurt since the beginning of the postseason. Again, she didn't pull your arm for that. She, No one needed to know that. Like, why do you have to tell anyone that? What if he – what if we needed him? What if we had to take him off the roster and he would have then been out for the World Series as well, unfortunately? But, I mean, it's just, it's just bizarre – that some, like I said, someone that works in the media doesn't know that he is not forced to give them some of this information. And yet he did. And I don't know why, because it all just makes the Yankees look bad. So in terms of the, so far I've been through the, the front office fired, the manager on the fringe, but fired. The mental conditioning coach, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, Matt Blake, you're fine. I mean, he's done a great job, folks. Clearly, and this is another interesting part, I think, about the general manager. The way we've tried to construct the team outside of maybe three or four players. And honestly, no. Besides one or two players on the pitching side and the entire offensive side and position players excuse me i should say position players is very 20th century like trying to build the way that the 1998 yankees were built and you can't do that anymore you have to home you have to have good homegrown players that are cheap in order to win major league baseball because that's just the way it is the contracts they they add up even if you have a lot of medium-sized contracts they add up so you have to have homegrown players that 
turn into successful players, and the Yankees don't have enough of that. Um, I, I just, it's it's tough because it's a lot of 20th century stuff on one side of the ball, but on the, the pitching side, like outside of Garrett Cole and Neraldis Chapman, we're getting all these random guys that no one's heard of, and we're turning them into to analytically driven pitchers that win and get ground balls and get broken bats, and it's good. I love it. Um, and that's the reason we hired this guy, and it's perfect. But now I think we need to kind of move away from the old way of things and move towards the Matt Blake way of things and kind of get a new group of guys in there. And I guess by that, reasoning Aaron Boone would probably stay but I think you can't you just can't have guys that won in one era of baseball and have not won in this era of baseball with a job anymore with with you know I think I read a stat from from the Red Sox guys that Brian Cashman spent 4.5 billion dollars of the Yankees money since 2009 and that's only brought one championship and five other ALCS appearances, but no World Series appearances. So Cashman gone, Boone not gone, I guess. Um, Health coaches probably gone. I mean, we have too many injuries and to not pull Nestor out of that game or tell Boone to pull Nestor out of that game is pretty bad. Um, and I guess then we'll go and we'll start with the catchers. Uh, Trevino didn't hit in the ALCS. Higgy didn't either, but that's kind of catching in the major leagues. I mean, you know, they called great games all year. They stole a lot of pitches in the strike or out of the strike zone. Um, and so both of them, I think are good for next year. Uh, I think both of them are are on arbitration, so we'll see what they kind of want to do with that, um, and then we'll go to first base. So Rizzo had a great postseason. Um, I think he was only like four of fifteen or something like that in the four games of the ALCS, so not as good, but um, he was still one of the only two, you know, or three Yankees that really hit consistently. Um, once again, a great defensive first baseman, a leader in the clubhouse. So for me personally, you obviously bring him back, but I think he's kind of attached to judge. I think if judge, if they decide they're not going to bring him back or judge decides he's not coming back, I think that'll really impact whether Rizzo wants to come back to New York or not. I know that there'll be other teams courting for his services, especially with the shift being gone. And that'll probably make him more expensive and will probably make him decline his option and, you know, get offered more money, which doesn't really help the Yankees, but um, it's not like he's not deserving of his money either. So we'd love to have him back. We'll see how it goes. Glaber Torres is next. Didn't hit in the ALCS, was really streaky during the season. And I just think that there's got to be players out there 
who can be more consistent and just as good, if not better, than Glaber's numbers. Um, he was a good defensive second baseman. Uh, like I said, when he was great, he was really great. When he was bad, I mean, it was it looked like he would never hit the ball again. Unfortunately, that happened again in the playoffs. And like I said, I just think there's got to be more consistent players out there. Um, in addition to the fact that Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, and Anthony Volpe all play the infield. And now, you know, Oswaldo did show you he can play the outfield, but I just think considering the fact that Hicks is on contract, Bader's on contract, hopefully Judge will be on contract. Stanton, they've shown that they want to play in the field. Um, and then, you know, Dominguez coming at some point in the next few years. So I think they'd rather try to put Oswaldo in the infield. Um, and, and for those reasons, I think Glaber uh, has got to go, unfortunately. And it's not because I don't like the player. I really do. And, you know, people were a year ahead of me on this one. I'm not going to lie. A lot of my friends were saying Glaber's done. Don't bring him back. Trade him. Whatever. And I like the guy, like I said, no hard feelings. I just think you either got to get rid of the streaks or you got to go. And, I, you know, it's been too long of not getting rid of the streaks for me. Um, shortstop, IKF, I already kind of went through that one. Um, if he wants to come back and play third, like I, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. But there's not really a scenario for that to happen because Josh Donaldson, unfortunately, is on contract for next year for 22 mil. Um, I, and I just don't think there's anyone taking that off of this season. And I don't think there's any, you know, releasing them or benching them. So, like, Josh Donaldson's here to stay, folks, for next year. It's going to be real rough to watch when there's a lot more of the same next season because the bat speed's not there. The everything's not there at the plate um, and in the field, he's fine, but it's not worth $22 million. Um, but unfortunately, uh, one will stay and IKF will see. I think he's on arbitration as well. But like I said with Peraza, I just don't see a scenario how you can, can you know, how you can look at Yankees fans in the media and say, yeah, Oswald Peraza was good enough to start a game in the ALCS, but he's not good enough to start on the opening day roster. I don't think that's very fair. Um, and so I think for that reason, you got to find a way to send IKF to the Hills um, and have Peraza start at shortstop and I guess Cabrera at second uh, next season. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with LeMahieu. I guess if Rizzo opts out, you you have – LeMayhew as your first baseman. If Rizzo's in, LeMayhew's the second baseman, and I guess Cabrera goes to the outfield or goes to AAA, which also doesn't make sense. Like, he was up for the entire month of July. Um, September, I mean, July, August, September, and the playoffs, and started most of the playoffs. So it doesn't make much sense to me for him to start in AAA either. Um, but someone's going to be the odd man out somewhere. So uh, right field, Judge. I mean, a lot of people are blaming Judge for the reason the Yankees lost in the playoffs. 
I don't think that he's the reason we lost at all. I mean, listen, did he hit a lot worse in the playoffs than he did in the regular season? Yeah, he did. There's no lying about that. But the playoffs at the end of the day are nine games, and he hit well for 157 games. I know the percentage of the percentages of that must be about, you know, six, seven percent. I'm not saying that the playoffs don't matter by any means. I'm just looking at it as a baseball only scope of it. Like, am I going to be angry that the best hitter of the entire season had a rough, what, 40 at bat stretch in nine games? I, I just can't knowing that the fact that it wasn't just him not hitting, that it was seven other guys not hitting. I can't really blame it on him, especially the fact that there were, you know, two months of that entire season where it was exactly what you saw. It was no one hitting, but Aaron Judge was, and he was the best hitter in baseball. Um, and so I just think the home run chase took took a lot out of him. I think it it adjusted his swing a little I think it made him chase a little more and I think he just got into a bad frame of mind at the plate and it happens and and with more games maybe he breaks out of it like and it's 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 tough but um people are saying don't sign him back because he can't play in the playoffs I mean there's been plenty of players who couldn't play in the playoffs before and I had just find it hard to believe like if you're the New York Yankees, right, this guy is probably looking for a seven- or eight-year contract, and we'll just say for the next eight seasons, right? For the entire entirety of this man's career on the New York Yankees, the Yankees have made the playoffs, and the Yankees make the playoffs a lot of the years of their entire existence. So if you're telling me that Aaron Judge makes the playoffs in the next eight seasons, I'm just not expecting that he's going to struggle like that every single year like it's almost impossible is he going to struggle some of the time yeah i'm sure he will i'm sure maybe there'll be another entire postseason where he hits exactly like we just saw but i'm willing to bet that there will be more postseasons where he carries a team and he's an you know he's a world series mvp um so i just don't think it's right to give up on this guy just because of one nine game stretch I know it's the biggest nine-game stretch of the season, and he just didn't show up. Um, unfortunately, you know, as Aaron Boone said, another media blunder with the, the roof being closed. But it is true. Like, that ball would have gotten out if the roof was closed. Like, he did have a great hit there that maybe, you know, they win that game if that's a homer. He had another bomb in, in game four. That just, I think, got blown back in and it was too hard of a line drive, too low, whatever it was. You know, he had some good some good contact. He just didn't turn it into the homers and didn't turn it into the singles. Not a lot of hard contact outside of the hard flyouts. So I just don't believe that it's his fault. I don't believe that he'll struggle like that in the postseason for the remainder of his career like other people do. Um, and he was the reason for the most part that the Yankees were there. Um, and so I have no problem with him. Obviously, I'd hope he's a Yankee for life. Uh, you kind of heard some reports for the last couple of weeks where 
heard Nestor Cortez and Anthony Rizzo using the captain word talking about Aaron Judge. So I, I, I also agree with those sentiments. I would love that. I've, you know, only known Derek Jeter as the captain as the New York Yankees in my life. And I wasn't really uh, following baseball. You know, I was five years old when they named Derek Jeter the captain of the New York Yankees. So that's not necessarily something that's in my memory. And so I'd love to see that, especially that he is, is a great player, one of the best players. And, you know, just kind of looks, looking back on it, looks like they really wasted away his prime because I don't know how you excuse $45 million on the books between Araldis Chapman and Josh Donaldson when you complained about money. And Bryce Harper was out there. Manny Machado was out there. And those players automatically make this team way better than those two players combined. Um, Harrison Bader, welcome to New York, baby. What a freaking performance that was. Uh, five home runs, unfortunately, four of them solos. Uh, but wow, man. Way to welcome yourself to the damn show uh, here in New York. Uh, Clearly, there's something in his swing that either he was working on or the Yankees knew or whatever that that ball, he can hit a hard line drive into left field seats at any point um, and also hit like a normal, you know, 270, 770 OPS next year. I would uh, it, it kind of looked like that he can hit to all parts of the field. Um, so I love it. He can steal bases. I know he got thrown out in the in the ALCS, but and play a good defense. I know the judge play and right center field doesn't look good, but let's just be real, folks. They had 16 to 17 games to play with each other before the uh, ALCS, and you know that happens. It it's I don't want to say it's a reason they lost, but it is a reason they lost game three. And it's tough, but it's not the reason they lost the entire series, I'll tell you that. So Harrison Bader, welcome. Uh, I think he's on contract just for next year. I would hope he's on contract for another few years based on the way he played. Um, and then left field, Aaron Hicks will be back on contract. Uh, no really getting out of that one. Oswaldo Cabrera was the starting left fielder for most of that playoff. Andrew Benintendi's a free agent. We'll see what happens there. Um, but I don't think he'll come back. And John Carlos Stan, you know, we saw him in the playoffs out there a little bit. But uh, I, it's going to be interesting. This, you know, none of those moves start to get made without the Brian Cashman decision being made as he's um, – up for a new contract Boone still has a couple years left which like I said kind of leads me to believe he's not going anywhere as much as I wish he was um you know I just think between the media stuff of him not sounding competent you know some moves that just aren't good like the the Clark Schmidt going out there for the second inning after he looked like he looked rough folks he really did uh, we bring Clark Schmidt in game one, uh, one down, one nothing. 
He gets out of a big jam. Or no, it was zero zero. He gets out of a big jam after a walk uh, to end the inning. And I thought it was over. Like, I thought he was out of the game. Lou Trevino's coming in in the sixth the way that he had, you know, the entire Guardian series. So I don't know why we were changing anything up. And he was warming up. So bring him in. Bring him in. Uh, we leave Clark Schmidt out there. He gives up two home runs. I just think he wasn't prepared for that. Um, and And you kind of never feel like you have a chance after that in that game or in really in the entire series because Framber Valdez came out the next day and really made you look silly at the plate. So I don't think there was any like, oh, we can win game two outside of Aaron Judge's ball that, that kind of got knocked down by the wind. Um, but I just think his constant bad quotes like that I think the not being able to handle the bullpen in the playoffs. I think the fact that he has been the manager twice now where the Yankees lost to the Astros. I, I wish it was time for him to go, but he's got years on the contract, so I think he'll stay. Um, and outside of Judge Bader Rizzo, I mean, anyone else I really don't don't care for necessarily to come back. I mean, Stan, obviously, the DH, but I don't care for anyone else to come back. I mean, the catchers are obviously welcome. Uh, they did a great job. I had a lot of fun watching Trevino come over and play for his hometown team, and I was there for the walk-off in May. It was really cool. Um, but... You know, I just want to see a different mentality. I want to see a different mindset. I want to see them get over the Houston Astros. Like now 2017 and 2019 with the whole cheating thing, like none of that means anything because the playing field was even this time and you got swept and you got swept when Jose Altuve had two hits and Jordan Alvarez had no home runs and neither did Kyle Tucker. And... Bregman had one, and it was a pop-up to left field. Uh, so I just – I don't know what you do from here. Because if you sign Aaron Judge, there's obviously not going to be a lot of other moves that are made, and I think at least you got to bring someone else in with them, right? Like you can't. I'm not saying a guy that's anywhere near his magnitude, but I think there's some holes on this team that need to be figured out and fixed. And I don't know where you go from here. And I don't know how you try to construct a roster that can beat the Astros next year and then the next couple of years or whatever it is, but you got to try to do something. And I think it starts with finding a new general manager. Um, I know I didn't necessarily talk much about the series as a whole. I mean, I kind of covered it the way I wanted to. Like, I think the Trevino move was really big. Or the not, not bringing in Trevino in the sixth after Clark Schmidt mopped up the fifth in game one was a bad move. I think the fact that between Aaron Boone and Luis Severino, the quotes were that the Yankees 
you know, got screwed because the roof was closed and Aaron Judge's ball got blown back in the yard and that the Astros were lucky to win game two from Luis Severino. I think that was bad. Um, I think the fact that the Yankees didn't hit was bad. I think Brian Cashman's answers to make this team better were bad. And I unfortunately got excited during game four after a couple of runs. And then Nestor Cortez got hurt um, just shortly hours after I got my starting running back and my starting guard slash tackle slash wherever you want to put them. And Elijah Vera Tucker both got injured for the year. My starter and my knight in shining armor, Nestor Cortez, comes out of the game after a three-run homer with a groin injury that he had suffered just a couple of weeks ago for his first postseason, I believe. So just gut-wrenching for a couple of the guys that really made me believe in the team and also just be a fan of the team this year. It was fun to watch a couple of these guys just really look like they put it all out there and come to work every day and try to win games for, for the pinstripes. And I, it was really appreciated by fans, by those specific players who, and you know, you, you know who they are like judge Rizzo, Wandy Peralta, Nestor Cortez, uh, just guys that really epitomize what uh, the Yankees want to be. So I guess that's all for Go Be Great. Um, I'm sure I will talk to you guys next week around the same time to kind of do the same stuff. I know I didn't also talk about the, the Phillies or the Astros for the World Series matchup. Um, the NLCS looked real cool. Like, I didn't tune into much of it. I know Bryce Harper won the NLCS MVP, and Reese Hoskins also had a really good uh, series against the Padres. Um, and Kyle Schwarber hit a couple home runs as well. So, like, I think there's a better team in this series, which is the Astros. I think there's a hotter team in this series, which is the Phillies. We'll see which one prevails. Um, I kind of hope it's that that it's Philly. Uh, I don't have as much hate for the Astros after that series because they aren't cheating anymore and they made us look as bad as we've looked in the three times we've played them. And so as crazy as it is to say, you know, they, they, they're just better than us. I don't hate them as much. It's sad. I wish we could beat them. But we can't right now. And maybe we will at some point and my hatred will go back because I'll just never want to see them win again. And I'm sure it'll happen at some point. But for right now, it's just you tip your cap, you move on, you go to the golf course um, and you watch the World Series and you see whether it's your, you know, Yankee fan growing up, Bryce Harper leading the team down the I-95, the Philadelphia Phillies tour a World Series championship or whether the team that just knocked you out takes their World Series championship home. So we'll find all that out and more just in the coming weeks and coming days, really. 
um, as the World Series kicks off or kicks off. The first pitch is at about seven o'clock on Friday. Um, so I'm going to be sure to, uh, I know it's the end of the episode, so it doesn't matter anyway, but I'm going to put the hyperlinks in there so that you guys can come back during the week or at the end of the week for the picks and find those pretty easily. Um, as well as if you just want to hear a recap of my, you know, view of the current state of the Yankees. So I appreciate you guys all for locking in with me for like the last hour and a half or so. Um, I really appreciate all of the increasing support that I'm getting with this podcast. You guys are making it um, something that I look forward to. And the fact that, you know, I'm noticing people noticing my work um, is the exact reason that it is fun to do this. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I would enjoy doing it if I didn't think people were listening to it at all so i really appreciate you guys you know giving me um the support that i need to keep this thing going um and i will be back next week to bring you guys uh you know if there's any yankee news you'll hear about it we'll be talking jets and giants because those guys just keep on winning they're bringing back some pride into this damn city after the mets and the yankees let us down um And we'll talk college football soon because I believe the college football playoff ranking comes out. I think Clemson's a joke this year. I mean, they just had to bring in the backup quarterback in their home field against Syracuse. And I know Syracuse is good, but I just kind of think that means that Clemson's fraudulent in the college football picture playoff. I think it should be whatever SEC teams end up with one loss or less. I think it should be a Pac-12 champion Oregon after their only loss is going to be against Georgia to start the season. Um, And I guess that would leave a one-loss Big 12 champion or Clemson. And I just don't want to see Clemson play. I think it's like having Notre Dame in there um, from the previous season. So, um. That's all I got for you folks. Like I said, I'll be back next week bringing you Go Be Great episode 17 brought to you by Heart of Sports. Thank you guys so much and have a great day. Go be great.